0: Hey, welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn it to um, Romans chapter 15. That's where we're going to be diving in this week, the first half of that chapter. And it's really a continuation of the things we've been studying in Romans chapter 14. Uh, it's kind of a bad time for a chapter break in the book of Romans because Paul is really continuing on in a pretty similar vein to what he was talking about earlier. If you had missed out on Romans 14 and you don't want to go back and find the message online, then I'll just summarize for you real quick. Romans 14 talked about the difference between weak and strong faith. And as we discovered last week, strong faith knows the difference between things you must do, things you must not do, and areas of freedom where there is neither a command or a prohibition. And strong faith can tell the difference between these things because they are familiar with and they trust what the Bible says. They're not deciding what is right and what is wrong based on um, what they think or how they feel or things that have happened to them. They base it on the Bible. And because it's based on God's word, they know that what it says is right. So when we come to Romans chapter 15 now, the question becomes, what is it that you and I, who are strong in those areas that we are strong, what should we do with the freedom that God has given us? What should we do with the freedom God has given us? Well, back when Paul was writing this, remember, this is the book of Romans. Paul was writing in the first century to the church at Rome. And Rome was the center of the Roman Empire, right? What was the Roman Empire like as far as freedom goes? Were they just as free as we are today? Absolutely not. It was a very different system, very different way of life back then. In fact... Estimates are that about half of the population of the Roman Empire were made of slaves. Which makes sense when you think about it. Rome was an empire that grew by the army going to a new land, conquering the people, and taking a great number of the people as slaves, spraying them out throughout the rest of the empire, and subjugating the land. And whenever there was a rebellion... The arm came in, they attacked them, they conquered them, and they got a whole bunch of slaves that got spread out through the rest of the empire. And the slaves would do much of the labor that was involved in that. So when we look at the idea of freedom today, when everyone is free and everyone sees freedom to to do what we want to, to own things, all these things are rights that every person should have, the people back then would not have understood that. Freedom back then was not something that they would assume or fight to defend for everyone. Freedom was something that was kind of surprising when you were found out you'd had it. But how do we view the idea of freedom today in American society? Um, I wanted to kind of get a feel for how it is. So I just went onto Google and I searched for a a quote, a series of quotes that somehow involved the phrase, don't let anyone, don't let anyone. And these are a couple of the results that I got here. Let me read them to you. First of all, don't let anyone dull your sparkle. Hmm. That one showed up a lot. (laughs) It's kind of fun. All right. Uh, How about this? It's your life. Don't let anyone make you feel guilty for giving it, for living it your way. That's interesting. Could be taken a couple different ways. Let's keep going. Don't let anyone tell you that you have to be a certain way. Be unique. Be what you feel. Hmm. What's the standard by we're, that we're living by according to that? Our feelings? No standard outside of how... Ah, that's fine. Let's just keep going. Let's see what the last one has to say. Don't let anyone ever make you feel like you don't deserve what you want. Hmm. That's a fascinating perspective. All of these really are. And they seem to reveal a little bit of the underlying current, or maybe not so much underlying, of the society that we live in and how we view our freedom and our right to regulate ourselves and do whatever we want. Now the question is, is this what God is telling us? Is this way of living, the way that God wants you, to use the freedom that He has given to you? Let's see if maybe Paul gives us the same perspective or a slightly different one. Let's go ahead and read Romans chapter 15, and starting in verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not just please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his own good to build him up. For even Christ didn't please himself, but just as it's written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in former times was written for our instruction so that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures we may have hope. Now may the God of endurance and comfort give you unity with one another in accordance with Jesus, so that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul seems to be giving a much different perspective than what we had heard before from those little Google online quotes. Paul says in verse 1 that we who are strong should bear with the failings of the weak. Or, if you look at it a little more, literally, what it actually, maybe more precisely says, is that we who are strong should carry the weaknesses of those without strength. Hmm. That's even stronger than saying we should bear with your failings uh, if, if you're weak and I'm strong. You know, eye-rolling included, grumbling and moaning and being like, oh, man, I don't get to do what I, I should be able to do. No, he says if you're strong, if you understand what the Bible says, Paul does not place the responsibility on the weak to say, hey, back off of those who have strength. No, he says if you're strong, you have the responsibility to carry the weaknesses of the weak. This is much less, don't let anyone in its mindset. And much more, with great power comes great responsibility. And then Jesus is the example that Paul points us to. He points to Jesus and says, look at Jesus. What did Jesus do for you and for me? Jesus served us. He didn't claim his prestige or his power or his freedom and say, hey, everyone back off of me. I'm just going to have my me time. No." He gave up his freedoms, his power, and he served us, and he carried our weaknesses. He kept on humbling himself and humbling himself, forgiving and forgiving, loving and encouraging and comforting and giving again and again. Why was he able to do that? Where did he find the reserves to do it from? I'll tell you where he found the strength and the reserves to give from. He found that to give, the strength to give in his identity, which he got from the Father. He got it from his love, which the Father has given to him in endless measure. And he got got his strength to give from his eternal life, his perfect relationship with the Father, which would never be taken away, no matter what happened to him, even in death. Jesus could afford to give grace Because he had endless resources from his Father. And guess what? You, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, if you know how much God loves you, how much he cares for you, you have the same resources as Jesus. You have the resources of an identity in Christ, of the love of Christ, which will never be taken away, of eternal life, which will last forever. You have eternal resources to give and give and give again, just like he did. Let's keep going. Take a look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 15, verse 7. He says, Receive one another then, just as Christ also received you to God's glory. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the circumcised on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to believers made to the fathers, sorry, and thus the Gentiles glorify God for his mercy. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the circumcised on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the fathers. And thus the Gentiles glorify God for his mercy. As it's written, because of this I will confess you among the Gentiles and I will sing praises to your name. And again it says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. And the one who rises to rule over the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, you look there and you're like, that's an awful lot of quotes. What's what's Paul really doing there? Is he just quoting every time in the Old Testament that the word Gentiles shows up? Not exactly. This is where, hopefully, I can give you a little bit of a tool for your own time in God's word. Because back then at this time, they didn't have chapters and verses to find references in the Bible. Paul would never have directed you, for instance, to Genesis 1.1. Instead, he would have said, in the beginning. And when you say that, then everything that happened in Genesis chapter 1 would have flooded into your mind and you would have thought about that. And so that's kind of what Paul is doing. Paul is taking four quotations, not as just individual little quotes, but as references to the larger passages. And he's giving us one, two, three, four different passages, not just randomly, but so that you can think of the passages and see a progression of thoughts that Paul is giving us And then the actual quotes that he tells us gives us a through line that Paul wants to draw out for us so that we can get to his real point that he is coming. It's beautiful. Let me show you. His first quote is, Because of this, I will confess you among the Gentiles, and I will sing praises to your name. This comes from Psalm 18, which King David wrote after he had won what seemed like an impossible victory against overwhelming odds... He won the battle and then made the psalm, which sings praises to God as the God of great power and great judgment, who is able to defeat and destroy his enemies. So that's the first picture that we get in Psalm 18, Paul's first reference. The second quote says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And this is found in Deuteronomy chapter 32, where Paul not Paul, Moses, points to Israel just before they got to the promised land and says, guess what guys? You have not been good. You have been disobedient. You've been obstinate. You've been stubborn. And as far as what you deserve, you deserve judgment and destruction. You don't deserve God's love and His grace. You're not going to get a pat on the back. If, any, if you get what you deserve, you will be judged. But... God is a merciful God, and He will show you love and mercy instead of judgment. What's that third quote say? It says, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples praise Him. This comes from one of the shortest psalms that there is in the Bible. And that is Psalm 117. It's almost the second half of the psalm. And the first half says, God's love and faithfulness Endures, It sticks around. And then the fourth quote, I hope you're following this line, but I'll I'll, I'll review it in a little bit. The fourth quote says, The root of Jesse will come, and the one who rises to rule over the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. And this comes straight out of Isaiah chapter 11, where the prophet Isaiah, one of the most prolific uh, prophets at least, who wrote more than anyone else almost, He says in this passage that Jesus, the the one who comes in the line of David, the promised king of Israel, he will come one day. He will come and he will be amazing. He will stand on a mountain and with great power, he will save Israel and he will bring them back to the promised land, bring them to a place of blessing. And then from there, he will judge the world perfectly with perfect justice, with perfect righteousness, so that the whole world praises him. So what we have here, just to help you review, is four passages where we see a picture of how there is a God who is powerful to judge, who is relating to a nation that deserves judgment, but God shows mercy instead of judgment because, third passage, he has faithfulness and love that endures, And one day, when Jesus returns, he will save Israel, and he will rule over the world perfectly. These are the four passages that Paul is outlining for us, and through that he's giving us the actual quotes, which all relate to the idea of the Gentiles seeing what God is doing and praising him for what he is doing through Israel and to Israel. It's a beautiful picture. It's amazing how Paul does this, but he manages to convey all of that to the person who knows how to see it in just a couple verses. And the point of those things is that those points taken together, that story, is that God's faithfulness to Israel gives hope to the Gentiles like me and like most of you. Because if God is faithful to them, he will also be faithful to you. And that should give us hope. That should give us comfort. That should give us encouragement. But that should also be a challenge to us. Why? Because if God is that faithful to Israel, and if God is that faithful to you, then how should you and I treat one another? Shouldn't our love, shouldn't our faithfulness endure? Even when those around us deserve judgment. Wow. Well, that's a challenge. That's not easy. But we have the resources for that because we have it in God. You and I, as believers, as those who are alive in God, we are uniquely free to care for other people at our expense. Even those who deserve it least. Why? Because we know that God cares for us. God has our back. God is the one who provides for us. He is the one that loves us. And then to guide us in our takeaways, I just want to point us to uh, the two doxologies, uh, times of where Paul just breaks out in praise to God within this passage. Not once, but twice. First, I want to take us to uh, Romans 15, verse 13, where Paul presents to us that as we believe in this God of hope, as we believe in the God of hope, what it will lead lead to in your life and in mine is joy and peace. God gives us peace In this world, and He gives us joy, which are two, if you remember back to Romans 14, are two of the things that are the most important to God in our relationships. He says, God gives you your joy, God gives you your peace. And as you receive that joy and that peace, as you believe in Him, what that leads to is hope for our future. Not just wishes and dreams, pie in the sky. No, hope, solid, secure knowledge that God will be there for us in our future. And then I want to take you back to Romans 15, verses 5 through 6. Because it tells us that our God of hope and comfort has a desire for us that goes beyond just you being encouraged in yourself. He doesn't just want to give you peace and joy and hope for yourself. He wants you to be unified with the other believers who he has become one with. He says, I have just come for you. I came for them too. And I don't just want them to trust in you and worship God on their own. I want you to worship God together. To be unified, even with those who are different than you. Because then, when that happens, when it really happens, and we really begin to understand the love and grace of Christ, not just to us, not just as a theory, but in community we begin to glorify God with one voice. And glorifying God with one voice together, in spite of our differences, is what God wants for you and for me. If there's anything that this quarantine teaches us, I think that most of you should probably be able to resonate with us. It kind of resonates in my own heart, this principle, that as most of us have been in our own homes, we have had more freedom to worship God however we want than we ever have before. I mean, you can worship at any time you want. You can worship anywhere you want. Like, go out into a forest. Like, stay in your homes, in your living room, in your dining room. You can wear whatever clothes you want. You can sing whatever music you want. You can listen to whatever preacher you want. You don't have to listen to me. You can listen to anyone else. But at the same time, something tells me that most of us, as we are worshiping in our own homes, we may have been feeling like we're struggling to really grow and mature in Christ. There's a reason for that. And the reason is that learning can happen alone, but maturing happens in community. Learning happens alone, learning can happen alone, but maturing only happens in community. When I'm by myself in in this room, I got all these books that I can look at, I can study, I can read all day, I can learn all the facts that I want, I can practice and I can teach myself a skill if I want to. But if I want to actually grow and mature and develop as a person in my real, truly deep knowledge of Christ, that doesn't happen when I'm just by myself. That happens when I'm with you. And when you are with me and with other people around us. Not just people who are the same as us either, but people who are different than us. And so because of that, you and I should be all the more intentional right now in our relationships. There are people out there who are discouraged, who are having a hard time. They need a phone call. Man, just 30 second phone call with people can be hugely encouraging to them. We should be more intentional in our relationships here and now, and we should also be all the more eager To be back with each other as much as possible. Yes, absolutely. We need to follow the rules that are given to us by the governing authorities. Absolutely we do. But we should also say, as soon as I can, I will be with others in the way that I can. Uh, This is the last Sunday in April. And for many of us in Michigan, hopefully we are going to be seeing each other again soon. And I really hope for a chance to see you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you as we see your faithfulness in the Bible and in our lives and in the lives of those around us. We thank you that you delight to fill us with hope, with peace, and with joy through your Holy Spirit. And we ask that as we understand this love that you have for us, the grace and the hope and the freedom that you give to us, help us not to use that freedom to please ourselves, but to build up one another, helping them so that they may know and trust and love you more. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. I'll see you next week.